0: We're in Romans chapter 2. We're moving right along in the book of Romans. Well, kind of right along, right? Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in what manner you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth, according to those who practice such things. Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? This is an important verse. I'm going to read it again. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. I'm going to keep going. Eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Father, we thank you for this passage, and we ask that you would help us to understand it, to glean from it, and to hear from your Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would continue to be here and continue to speak to us, continue to minister to us, and that you would open up the eyes of our heart so that we might understand. Fill us, Lord, that we would have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So this verse, or this chapter, starts out with the word, therefore. And whenever you see the word, therefore, you have to ask what question? Why is the word, therefore, there for? Right? So, if that's the case, then we really need to back up into chapter one. We don't have the time to do that this morning. But, it, it, and I will let you look at it yourself, particularly though you do have this list uh, of of uh, people who are, it, it says, God gives them over to a debased mind, verse 28, to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, Inventors of evil things. I thought that was interesting. Disobedient to Paris, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Um, And those who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. In other words, they are cheerleaders of those who practice evil. Because of that, You have to know as we're reading this that we are unexcusable even if we judge. Now, who is Paul writing this letter to? Romans. It's pretty easy, huh? You turn the other page back. It says Romans, okay. He's writing to the church in Rome. Who is he writing to? Christians. That's a hard one to, to wrestle with because we have to take this to heart. He's not talking about them. He's talking about us. And, and he says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in what manner you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. You know what's interesting about this, and, and as I've, I've given a lot of thought Uh, to this for one thing my sins and believe it or not I have them why are you laughing I guess I don't want an answer to that question do I he's seen me in other venues anyway my sins look a whole lot worse on you than they look on me they really do now, I'm willing to bet that your sins look a whole lot worse on someone else than they do on me, or you, excuse me. And, and so I, I think there's, there's, this, there's this ingrained part of who we are as people is that many of us, we make judgments, we do make judgments. Now, I, I want to balance this, but I also want to be careful with this because the reality is there are times that we do have to make judgments. Matthew chapter 7 says, judge not lest you be judged, right? It says essentially the same thing here. And, and then um, it also says, and the uh, you will, uh, judge not you will, uh, and you will, uh, excuse me, for with what judgment you judge. This is chapter 7 verse 2 of the book of Matthew. For with what judgment you judge. You will be judged. It says the same thing here in Romans. Doesn't it? And with the measure you use. It will be measured back to you. Are you gracious when you judge others. Or when you evaluate or see others. Or do you just want to hang them over hell. Look at that person, he's doing this, this, or that, and I wouldn't do this, this, or that. When the reality is, and we talked about this on Wednesday night, when we go back and we look at this list in, in verses 29 and 30, and even in verses 31 and 32 of the first chapter of Romans, we probably will find ourselves somewhere in there. But do we judge people with harshness and and, and just, and, and I've talked to people, and, and it, it, to be honest with you, it scares the theological place of eternal punishment out of me, all right? Um, you understand what I said, right? Because I've, I've listened to people say, you know, I think it, I will, I will, it'll be all, I will almost enjoy it when, when some of these people get what they deserve. Wow. Wow. Where's the grace? Where's the love of God? Yeah, it's so indignant. You know, but it says, by the manner of which, the measure of which you use to judge someone else, it will be measured back to you. It is my hope that when I stand before God, God will recognize that I have been a gracious person. What's interesting about this chapter 2 and chapter 7 of the book of Matthew is and he goes on he talks about false teachers and what he really says that by their fruit you will know them okay by the things that they do the things that they produce you will know them which involves what a judgment you have to make some kind of a judgment imagine if you didn't make any judgment as you go through life, you're driving up to a stoplight, or excuse me, a star, uh, yeah, stoplight, it's green, then it turns yellow, then it turns red. Do you have to make a judgment? Hmm, I wonder if I should just keep going. I wonder if that light really applied to me or just to the guy next to me, right? There, there are certain principles that we have to, to take as we're, we're considering this passage, but the thing is, is what... What I've found about uh, Christians, and I don't want to quantify because from my own experience, there have been way too many, but I don't know if this is a good sample of the church as a whole. They get saved. They're on their way to heaven. And it's sorry, too bad for you because you're not and they become very judgmental of the sins that they themselves either used to do or sometimes, God forbid, which they still could do. So this gets tough. Or maybe they secretly do. I would refer you to the Sermon on the Mount. You read the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and it busts all of us. And that's exactly the point that Paul is trying to make in this particular passage is he's trying to say that we are all inexcusable and that we all need the saving work of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. We all need it. All have fallen short. Romans 3, we'll get to it in a while. All have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some of us more than others. See, that's judgmental, isn't it? I did it on purpose. I I got some of you to raise your head on that one. I was like, where are you going with this, right? But what really struck me about this passage, and and there are times I'm going to bed, I've been studying all day, I'm going to bed, and I'm like, I'm not done yet. And and, and and matter of fact, I've got this all these notes that I didn't edit out or whatever, and I'm thinking there has to be a different way to approach this passage than than the work that I put on it, put in on it. Because one of the things that 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 really struck me is that question. In verse four, it says, uh, "Do you despise the riches of his?" goodness what does that mean do you despise the riches of his goodness or or, 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 or do, you, do you have a you know yeah I, I've been I'm, I'm a Christian I'm saved but I've talked to people they're a Christian they claim and they claim to be saved but it's as if they want heaven all to themselves I don't want them there. I don't want this person there. Now, I've told you I don't want to be in the pastor section of heaven, right? I've told you that, all right? And I, I still believe that, okay? I still feel that way, even after this. You know, that'll be hell for me. But anyway, um, ask me later. Anyway, ah, even to think about it, I had a dream about it. I told you about that dream, right? I just left out the names. <laughs> they were, anyway. But do you despise the riches of God's goodness? And I think sometimes if we are honest, we do. Maybe not with all sins. I think that we have certain sins in our thinking that we find more detestable than others. I know I do. There are certain things I can tolerate from people, and there are certain things that I just just squirm and, and, ah, just to deal with. But even with people who are committing those type of sins, I'm not going to name them today. I'll let you fill in your own blanks. Do we despise God's goodness toward them? Some of you are shaking your head no. I just obviously I haven't I haven't pried it open yet. <laughs> I guess I won't. I think there is that tendency that we can get tired of the condition of the world. And long for the coming of the Lord, and hope that that and, and i 've talked to people they their 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 theology of of the rapture they just they just see it as an basically their escape hatch and if that 's what you believe that's that's fine but but in that thinking, do you really want to? use your escape hatch and let the rest of the world go through the turmoil and tribulation that the Bible expresses in the book of Revelation? Do you despise God's goodness and his forbearance and his his long-suffering Goodness, long-suffering, excuse me, forbearance and long-suffering. Knowing that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Now, I've had to really think through that phrase. I'm going to back up into the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering a little bit. But I also want to just kind of get you to think about it's God's kindness that leads us to repent. And what exactly does that mean? First of all, though, God's goodness. Which is interesting because it's listed here, it's also listed in Galatians chapter five, verses twenty two, which list some of that verse particularly. The in Galatians five lists all of them, but Galatians five twenty two lists some of what? The fruit of the Spirit. One of them is goodness. It's this quality of being helpful or beneficial. It's this quality of being kind. It's this quality of being generous. Now, and I think that the old New King James actually translates this word kindness. But God is that way toward you, is he not? Is he beneficial? Is he generous? Is he kind? Sometimes I wish he would be generous in a different way, right? And I, at, there have been times that and I, I've had to wrestle with this because, I mean, I've known guys who have gone into ministry, and I wonder if they're even Christian, you know? I mean, it's just like, and, and, and it seems like good doors open for them. Good as a relative term, by the way. And it's like, how do they get this? You know, I, I knew a young man who, he, his total package as a worship leader in a church in a big city was about 96,000 for the entire year. And I'm like, oh, um, do you need an assistant? You know, I mean, um, and he blew it, by the way. He wasn't a good steward of it. They canned him. But there, there are times it's like, wow, what a, what generosity, and and I have to think that the Lord provided these things for him, and sometimes God provides these things for us, and we are not good stewards of them. I think it's important to remember that as well. But what about sinners who prosper? I was going to get political just for a moment there and decide to pull that one back, but I'll let you think that one through. Because I've heard some of your complaints. Do you despise God's generosity and goodness to them? Or God's kindness? That is, his genuine caring, his genuine understanding? Do you understand... Do you, do you understand that God understands us? That he knows that we are... Psalms talk about this. He knows that we are, we are, we are, we are dust. That we are frail. That, that God is a whole lot more patient with you than you are with yourself. For those of you who are parents, particularly when your parent, kids were young... He's a whole lot more patient with you than you are with your kids. I know I, he is with me. But this, this idea of understanding and trying to find, this word is an, a very broad word in the Greek, and it's also, by the way, one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, but it's trying to find a positive and, and helpful way forward. That's what this word implies, when, is, when being kind, it isn't just patting you on the head and sending you on your way, but, it, but it's coming alongside of you and helping you find a positive way forward, particularly in those places when you are stuck emotionally, when you were stuck mentally, or you were stuck physically, or you were stuck spiritually. That's who God is. And I love it when God is that way to me, don't you? Well, to you, maybe not to me, right? I love it when God is that way to me, but am I just as content and happy and satisfied when God does that to someone whom I don't like? Oh, that drives me crazy. My skin is already starting to crawl because sometimes it's just very difficult. God's goodness, God's kindness, and his forbearance. It's an interesting word. It's only used by Paul twice in the New Testament here and in Romans 3.25 when it talks about God's forbearance. That is his... It literally means to pause... Ever pause with your kids when you're just, okay, better not, right? Why are you laughing? Never mind. It, it, it means that, 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 and at times I think it's talking about God's own emotion that when he's finally had enough, he's like, wait a minute. I'm going to hold on to that for a while. It also means to give clemency to someone. Now, How many sinners do you know that you want to have clemency for, especially the bad ones? Am I stepping on toes this morning? I hope the Spirit is. Because this is stuff... That is tough for us, but this is stuff, if we are really truly going to be called followers of Jesus Christ, these are the things that we need to apprehend in our lives. And do the hard stuff. To avail ourselves to do the hard stuff. To say, Lord, fill me with your spirit that I might have the power from you to be able to walk in this way. Because I don't like that person. Because I'll be honest with you, there's people out there I don't like people out there that are just flat out offensive. Difficult to deal with. I don't understand why they live the lives so that they do. But then if I really stop and think about it, I do understand. Because the reality is, and I love this saying, AA drove it into my head. Except for by the grace of God, there go I. Except for by the grace of God, there go us. Because we are every bit as bad and awful as they are. And we don't want to believe that about ourselves. And I know that some of you are a whole lot nicer than I am. I I get that, all right? Most pastors are not nice people, okay i'm just letting you in. I think I've told you that in the past, and I think part of the reason why I'm a pastor is that God had to put a very short leash on me, okay, and so you're stuck with it, but nonetheless, his forbearance, this idea of being patient toward one another, patient toward those who have no desire to even walk with him. And yet God is patient. Was God patient with you? Was God patient with you? There are times in my life I really felt that God had to put a few extra guardian angels on me to keep me from self-destructing. But God was patient, and he's long-suffering, and he's kind, and it is his goodness that leads us to repentance. What's interesting about this question too, do you despise God's goodness? In the New American Standard, it literally is translated, do you show contempt toward God's goodness? puts it a little bit harsher, doesn't it? Do you show contempt? Are you mad when God is good to someone else? I think that's a hard question but knowing that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Real quick. And I got a lot here. Well, I'm going to read verse 5, and then I want to turn to Luke chapter 4. In verse 5 it says but according with your hardness and your impenitent heart you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So in other words if we do not have God's heart for the world because I still went I looked and and I looked at John 3:16 and it still says that God so loved the church that he gave his Um, excuse me, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whosoever believes in him, that is Jesus, the only begotten son of God, will not perish but have everlasting life. God is constantly extending an invitation to humanity that most of humanity does not want to receive. And to me, that is that is the tragedy of history that is repeated day in and day out in the lives of millions of people. And it's not something that makes me angry. It should be something that should make me weep. But as I, as I thought about the temptations of of Jesus Christ in in Luke chapter 4. And and Jesus is in the wilderness, right? He's just began his ministry. He's in the wilderness. He's fasting for how long? 40 days, all right? Now, I know some of you get real irritable when you haven't an eaten 40 minutes, right? He goes 40 days without eating. And and he 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 is he's doing battle with the devil. I'm not going to look at all three of the temptations. We don't have time for that. But one of the, the, and I was reading about this recently, the third temptation that we have given to us in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 9. It says then, this is the third temptation now. So I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing a little piece of the latter part of the story, okay? So it says, then, then he, that is Satan, brought Jesus... To Jerusalem, and he set Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. All right? So, how this happened, to me, it had to be supernatural in some way, some form. Satan takes Jesus and sets him up on the, on the pinnacle of the temple. I'm not exactly sure what the pinnacle of the temple is. There are many, many different ideas. But let's just say. For, for, uh, uh, for brevity, it's the highest point in the temple in Jerusalem. You're up high, all right? Now, when you're up high, what are you doing normally? I can't wait to get down. I'm afraid of heights, all right? I didn't know. it. I didn't. Now, normally, though, if, if, I can, if I can gain some self-control, right, I like to look down and see what's going on down there, right? I like to look at the view. It's a physical thing that is manifesting something spiritual. Jesus is exalted on the pinnacle. He's up higher than anyone else. He is in a place of exaltation. He's riding above everyone else, the full of humanity. This is God in the flesh who is here on the pinnacle. And Satan says, just throw yourself down, right? Throw yourself down. For it is written, verse 10, he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So, here's Satan's idea. Okay, Jesus, just go ahead and throw yourself down. Let everybody know this is happening. Hey, everybody, watch. You know, and do a half gainer, you know, and throw himself down and everybody would be ood and awed because the angels would come and it would under they would catch Jesus before he fell and killed himself. And then wouldn't everybody just want to follow him? Isn't that a a reasonable suggestion? No. Why? Two things. One, let's see if I can keep him in my head. One, There would be somebody in the crowd somewhere who would say, well, let's see what he's going to do next week. Right? You know, wanted to up the ante. Second of all, and this is, I think, the most important. He is God in the flesh. Now, the book of Isaiah says he is whom? Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. He did not come to do a bunch of supernatural phenomena to impress us. He came and dwelt among us. And the supernatural work that he did and the healings that he did and the casting out demons that he did, he did it with both feet on the ground because, and I'm thinking of that Jane Osborne. What was her name? I mean, what, if, what, if, what if God was one of us? Remember that song? Kind of a dumb song. Some of you don't. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll play it for you later. No, no, I won't. Anyway, but but I think it asks a very good question because yes, God was one of us. And he comes and he does his work of redemption and his work of salvation, not by putting on a spectacle, by doing a half gainer off the pinnacle, by by walking among us and living among us and experiencing the same kind of life and the same kind of difficulties and the same kind of trauma and the problems that you and I deal with every day. That's Kindness. This does tie in Romans chapter 2, by the way. That's the kindness of God. And he comes and he dwells with us. Later on in the book of Luke, Luke 18, I won't take the time to turn there because I'm running out of time. But Jesus tells the story of two men who go into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, don't think IRS agent, by the way, because the tax collectors were considered the traitors of the day because they worked for Rome. Rome was an occupying country, occupying Israel. They were considered as traitors. So the Pharisee goes into the temple and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. And I can almost imagine God going, boy, this ought to be good, right? I mean, really, think about it. I pray three times a day. I tithe. I do all this kind of religious stuff. And I thank you, God, that I'm not like this jerk over here who is probably unclean. And I better make sure I'm at least social distance from him spiritually. Well, I haven't been able to use that one yet. That was kind of fun. The tax collector would not even look up to heaven, but he beat on his breast and he said, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that that man went away justified. Not the Pharisee who was thanking God because he was such a good religious person. Because I'm afraid. And I don't know for sure. Because I can't see a person's heart. But I'm afraid at times that I think there's going to be a lot of religious people in hell. I would hate to be that pastor of that church. I mean, think about it. But it is God's kindness... That leads us to repentance... And sometimes his kindness is manifested by the fact that he is just very long-suffering. Sometimes his kindness is that he will light a fire under you to move you in his direction. That's kindness. And I I, I talked with with a person recently, and, and, and they're mad at God. They're mad at God because something happened in their life. So it's God's fault. I thought that was really interesting because my first thing I wanted to say to him was join the club, okay? You're mad at God, okay, join the club. I've been mad at God, all right? God's big enough to handle it, by the way. But this person did not recognize God's kindness but they wanted God's responsibility over their life without even committing themselves to wanting to love God at all. Well, I, 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 wanted to be, I wanted to be a Christian, but now this happened. And so now I don't want to be a Christian anymore. That's stupid. I'm sorry, I understand getting hurt, I understand being upset, I understand dealing with difficulties and all that, but, but to, to blame these things on God is as if God is obligated to do all these things for us, and if he slips up one time, then he's out of here. I don't know how many times I've heard that from people. Because they don't understand his forbearance. They do not understand his goodness. They do not understand his long-suffering. And they do not understand that they are like we are unexcusable, as it says in verse 1 of Romans 2. In other words, what this woman that I spoke to really did, was she elevated herself above God. And now I'm mad at God. And God's not doing it the way I want to do it. We either call him Lord, Lord, and do the things that he says, or we don't. Now, no one does that perfectly. But we either submit ourselves to his lordship, and yes, he does allow hard things to come into our life, and no, I don't understand why it happens. And it drives me just as crazy as it drives you when we're going through these things. but he's kind. He's long-suffering. He's good. He doesn't throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, but he walks among us and he lives among us and he walks with you through your turmoil and trials and tribulations and good times. And he doesn't make himself a spectacle, but he comes and he meets us face to face. That's a kind God. That's a loving God. That is a God that I do not dare despise his goodness to someone whom I do not believe deserves it. Because he's been so good to me. And he's been so good to you. Remember his kindness. Yes, we have to make judgment calls, but let's seek God and ask him to remove from us these judgmental hearts and attitudes that we have toward people who live lives that we either do not understand or are detested by, one of the two. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are a kind god and lord we confess that you you could have drop kicked all of us a long time ago and you could have cast us out at any moment and yet you have that long suffering and that that as your word says in the old testament that hased love that 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 unrelenting, always pursuing us, type of love that you have for us. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us to remember, recognize, and even appropriate your love in the midst of our calamities and our difficulties and in in our disgust as we see the world going in the direction that we go that it is going in. That we would be fervent to pray for people rather than to judge them. And that we would recognize that you have desired to give us the fruit of your spirit and that these things would be built into our lives. And these are things that can only be seen in our lives when we commit ourselves to you and allow you to do that purging work that you desire to do. So, Lord, we thank you that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with our world and that you would continue to be long-suffering, patient, and good to our world, and that people would hear the voice of your spirit, and that they would respond and give their lives to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.